This is Terry Crosby. Andy Steiger. Steve Kim. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you understand and speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Welcome to the show again, listeners. It's great to have you with us. And I have Andy and Steve with. Hello, hello. It's good to be here. Back from San Diego and uh, looking forward to uh, getting into things. Before we get into things, though, this today, just wanted to make mention of a couple things. One is, is the Apologize Canada Conference is live. You can purchase your tickets. The early bird rate is ending at the end of this month. So you want to uh, get those sooner if you want to get uh, a good price. As well, wanted to let you know or encourage you, I guess, that with year-end coming, we are always appreciative of those who appreciate this ministry and want to support us financially. Uh, we would really appreciate any support that you can and do give to us. And another way that you can support us beyond financially giving to Apologetics Canada is you can write us a review of the AC podcast. That's always appreciative. Our podcast has a number of great reviews, and we would welcome more of those reviews as that helps us to reach more listeners. And another thing that you can do to participate with us is a personal plea from me, is that in September, I have a book coming out called Reclaimed, How Jesus Restores Our Humanity in a Dehumanized World. Uh, This is a book that I really believe strongly in and am excited to see come out as we talk about those issues in our culture that are dehumanizing, those issues of our culture that are dangerous, and how important Jesus is to humanize us and to help us live flourishing lives. And so one of the things that we're doing is putting together a book launch team. If you would like to be a part of that, I'd encourage you to email me at andy at apologeticscanada.com. And I, I would love to get in contact with you about being a part of that. Over the next couple months, uh, we'll be talking more about that. Those people who are part of that are going to be able to read the book ahead of time and participate with me kind of walking through what the book is about. It's going to be lots to talk about that. This is kind of just an early notice that that's on the horizon, and we would love for you to be a part of us launching that book and helping get that resource into as many people's hands as possible. Awesome. Let's uh, get into things today. We are going to talk about a a show on Netflix that I just heard about. (laughs) (laughs) Myself as as well. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. I've been hearing people talk to me about it for a while. Yeah. So I watched one episode last night. So that's the extent of my knowledge of the show right now. And I watched two episodes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I watched, it was funny. I watched one episode and then I looked at my wife and I go, you want to watch one more? And she's like, yeah, I do. Okay. (laughs) And I have to, I have to say, before you get into this. Yeah. You guys have made me watch a lot of TV shows and movies for this podcast. <laughs> and many of them, I feel like taking a shower afterwards. Yes. They're, yes. They're, they're, they're a little disturbing. This, this, this one's this a little one, different. This was different. I actually enjoyed it. Okay, Steve, this. you have watched all of them. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, my wife and I, we've been watching this for a little while now. And uh, I actually talked about this show on another podcast that's run by 
a friend of ours in Victoria, Josh. And so, Steve, are you cheating on us on us with another podcast? <laughs> are you stepping out, dude? <laughs> what on earth? I was just. <laughs> this is the first. We've I was heard of just this. invited as a guest. Yeah. So, uh, how all. often does that happen? Oh, only once in a blue moon, really. I don't yeah. cheat much. <laughs> well, I thought this was a monogamous podcast relationship, but apparently, it, apparently, it isn't. Apparently well, the, isn't. the TV show that we're talking about is the, the Good, Good Place. place. Yes, uh, and you know, at first, I didn't know what the show was about. I'm like, the Good Place. You don't often hear heaven referred in those terms. Yeah, but culture at large, that is the way they they view heaven, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's the Good Place. So, for those listeners who are not familiar with this show. If you like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the same executive producer, (laughs) (laughs) the same executive producer actually um, helped produce this show, The Good Place. And the premise of it basically is that there are four people that find themselves in the good place. What's funny, though... There's more than four people. Steve, what do you mean by that? There's four specific characters that are highlighted. As you watch more episodes, you'll see that there are four main characters main that characters, yeah. this revolves around. Um, okay. I mean, there's also Michael, right? And the name is kind of telling because when you hear Michael, you think of Michael the Archangel. But anyway, it, one thing that's really interesting is that on this show, they don't refer to these places as heaven or hell. They refer to these places as the good place and the bad place. But the way those places are portrayed are very kind of stereotypical of the kinds of places that we grew up with, especially in the West. So Eleanor wakes up. She's the main character. And she wakes up and she's in this town, in a room actually, initially. And then is uh, Michael comes into the room and asks her to come into his office. And that's where she learns that she has died. A very tragic death. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so she is in the good place. Uh, Apparently it's heaven in certain respects, but there's some interesting things that were said right at the beginning that were, you know, kind of talking about heaven, but you know, not all the the religions have got it right. They're all at like 5% kind of thing. But a Canadian from Calgary, a pothead, he got a 93% right about what heaven was supposed to be like. Did you see that? <laughs> Did you hear no. that reference? Yeah. No. He's something of a celebrity <laughs> yeah. figure in, yeah. in the uh, afterworld kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> that came up in the first episode? Yes. Oh, okay. Don't you see when he referred to the picture on, the, on his wall? And he, he says, oh, I'm glad I have that or something along that line, right? Okay, That's the picture that of one. Doug Forsett. <laughs> Is that yeah. a real person? From Calgary. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I just uh, thought that was hilarious. And I want to talk about that more with regards to, okay, you know, the world's religions got, you know, each of them got about 5% right, you know, as he's explaining everything to her. The main premise uh, as you watch a show that comes out is that, in fact, she's the wrong person, the right name, wrong person. In fact, she should have gone to the bad place and... The show is absolutely hilarious because she's just a rotten human being that has somehow made it into heaven. <laughs> yeah. and, and she's trying to fit in there. And, and like I said, normally when I watch shows for this podcast, I feel dirty afterwards. This one, I just was laughing the whole way through and thought it was quite amusing. And I also thought, you know, with the number of people that have talked to us about this TV show, uh, I thought we should probably talk on this because 
this without question, as I'm watching it, I'm like, yep, this is how culture views heaven. And a lot of people in our culture think that this is the way Christians understand heaven to be. It's the good place, right? It's the place where you get everything that, you know, you deserve or that you want. And so it's this paradise. And one of the things that's quite funny about the paradise that you get in heaven that often you don't get here is your soulmate. All right. Right. Yeah, yeah. You must have liked the little piece of the AI uh, put in there as well, Janet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess I guess I never thought about Janet as AI. Yeah, she is. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, Janet's hilarious. She's the one that the whole knows thing's everything. Hilarious. She yeah. knows all things, right? She has this omniscience. She she can make things happen. She can create things right there in front of her. That kind of stuff. Yeah. I guess she's an angelic AI. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she has something of a near sort of. Godhood, right? Because she can make anything basically happen. Uh, she can conjure yes. up anything. She knows all information. Almost everything. Because one of the things that's interesting about the show is that they asked her, what's the bad place like? And she goes, well, I can't, I can't tell you about the bad place, but I can play you this short audio clip. <laughs> right. right? <If> you yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which, oh, man. <laughs> which is just, you know, people screaming and, yeah. you know, writhing in pain, that which was... again is the idea that people have right. of the bad place. Now, Steve, you've watched the entire three uh, seasons, or is there more than three seasons so far that's come out? It's on four I now. think there might be more, but whatever is on Netflix, uh, Sharina and I have gone through them all. Do they give you so. any more details of the bad place? Or is that it? You actually get to see more of the bad place as the seasons go along. Oh, so, you do. Yeah. There's okay. a twist at the end of. Okay, well, there's don't too many don't... spoilers that okay, I then... got into. <laughs> well, how is that possible? You've only watched one episode. I read some articles. Oh, you <laughs> uh, Well, don't tell any of them to me because no. this is this is one that I might actually watch more of. This just a little twist. <laughs> Now, one thing that's really interesting about this place is, I, I think you get this the first one or two episodes, is how you actually get into the good place or the bad place. Um, what they have is this cosmic sort of point system. It's such that everything that you do, every action that you take, there is a point ascribed to it. So if you help a puppy that's dying or whatever, you get points. Um, if you steal something, you lose points. And so then if you have enough points, then you go into the good place. And if, if you don't have enough points or if you're in the negative, then you go to the bad place. And this whole system is not even a personal thing. Like if this is almost like this blind cosmic software that is keeping tallies of everything that you're doing. And that's the basis on which you get into these places. We got to jump into the theology here because there's lots to talk about. Before we do, though, I've got an important question to ask. Terry, now that you've done Gone and Red, all the spoilers, are you going to actually watch the show? Or are you thinking? Yes. Oh, you will? Yes. Okay. I'm going to ask my wife if she wants to watch it with me. <laughs> <laughs> so that you could go see what you already know. Well, I think it's already pretty funny. That's what's drawing me right now. See, with like, it being Christmas time, were you one of those kids that would go sneak underneath the tree no, and open no, up no, your present no, ahead of time? No, 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 no. 
This was research, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever helps you sleep tonight, Terry. <laughs> yeah, the little kid unwrapping the present of the tree. <laughs> Mom, dad, it's just, it's just research. It started very early, the research. <laughs> well, hey, I want to talk about the theology of this because I meet a lot of people this is their view of the good place and the bad place. And what a great title for this TV show. Now, I don't know the agenda uh, with regards to this TV show. I've only watched two episodes, but I think that there's a lot here to talk about. The first thing that you've already mentioned there is a lot of people have this idea that the good place is for good people. The bad place is, is for bad people. What would you guys say are some of the other kind of cultural ideas behind heaven and hell. Like, so let's don't get into the biblical quite yet, but what are just some other cultural ideas? One thing that I find a lot of people believe about heaven or hell is that it's about pleasure or pain, really. And so when we go to heaven, our idea of heaven is the kind of a place where you get everything that you've ever wanted, a nice car, delicious food, good friends, everything that you couldn't have here. And hell is sort of the opposite of that, but it's more kind of driven by, I guess, our cultural notions of it, like some of the medieval paintings, right? You've got red guys with horns and tails and pitchforks, and there's the racks and all that kind of stuff. And that is the typical view of heaven and hell. What, I think, what about I, you, Terry? The same thing. I mean, for hell, I think there's a lot of fire that's imagined, <laughs> you know, some guys with horns on their heads. But for heaven, I think it's just kind of a blissful place, floating on clouds maybe kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of what conjures up in people's minds because it's, you know, it's kind of hard to to understand what heaven it is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not only for ourselves as Christians, but for those in, in uh, the culture. I, I'd agree. Those are the kind of the typical ideas of what uh, heaven and hell, the good place and the bad place are. What about how you get there? What are what do you guys come across? Some again, cultural ideas of how how do you get to the good place? What gets you into the bad place? Probably the one thing that I hear the most is it's almost like a, a balancing game, right? If you do more good than evil, or if you're decent enough of a human being, if you're nice enough, if you're kind enough, then you get into heaven. I just don't know what enough means, but that's still typically how people think of it. I like how this show goes into the whole talk on being good and the morality of it. But I think that's what cultural culture looks like when it's saying how to get into heaven kind of thing. Like it's being good. That's the, that's the bottom line. Now it is interesting that culture at large does have this idea that good people should be rewarded. Bad people, you know, should be punished. We very much do have that sort of mentality, but wouldn't you agree though, that there's another aspect to the good place and bad place that our culture kind of views this from? And that is, that you get into the good place if you have the correct beliefs, if you pass the right theological test, and you go to the bad place if you fail the theological test. Yeah, I actually get that a lot from atheists and agnostics, 
that really comes out in their objection to God's character. The ones that are really kind of a bit more aggressive about it, they'll say, well, what kind of a God creates you, gives you free will, and then you exercise that free will, and you come to a very different conclusion about certain theological beliefs, and then he damns you to all eternity in hell. Like, what kind of a God is that? Which, in a sense, a bit of a caricature of what Christians believe. We would say it's not all about having the right theological beliefs. I mean, there might be some core things that you have to affirm, yes, but at the end of the day, for us, heaven and hell doesn't depend on getting theology 100% straight. But that seems to be the view that my friends typically have. Yeah, and I want to jump into that in a moment. It is interesting in the show that she doesn't want to go to the bad place. She wants to be in the good place. And you you do get that kind of idea at culture at large that, yeah, God becomes this maniacal monster because he's sending people to the bad place that want to be in the good place, right? And that some people could see themselves going to the good place, and you often find this these days, but they want to go in the bad place, right? Because they want to do whatever they want, right? It's kind of that party mentality, that the good place sounds boring, bad place sounds good. So you get this idea where people are being sent someplace that they don't want to be, and then, you know, raises all sorts of conundrums like, well, is that actually a good place? Is that actually uh, a bad place? And then, you know, by and large, you have a culture that's very confused on all this. I think it's good for us to, you know, move into Scripture and, and just begin to talk about, you know, what does the Bible actually say about these sorts of things? And one of the you know scriptures that I've read recently, I was preaching through Ecclesiastes, and it was interesting. If you have a chance to read uh, Ecclesiastes chapter three, it's an interesting piece of scripture. You know, it's in the Old Testament, of course. It's before Jesus, and and it's at a time where you you've got the writer of Ecclesiastes who's just thinking through life at large, and and he begins chapter three by saying, "Listen, there's a time for everything, a time to be born and a time to die." And then he begins to juxtapose these ideas going back and forth between uh, there's a season for everything. And, and really, he kind of culminates throughout chapter 3 to this place where he says, there, there's even, you see this in verse 17, even a time for judgment. There's going to be a time where you will be judged. What's so interesting about Ecclesiastes, and here's just a little tip for those of you reading it, because it can be very confusing reading this book. And the reason it's confusing is because the writer of Ecclesiastes does something that is all too common. Maybe it's so common it confuses us, and that is that the writer constantly takes on and off a worldview. That there's sometimes he's writing and he has a God exists worldview, and there's other times he's writing and he has a God doesn't exist worldview. The writer will flip back and forth between these two different worldviews. It's very contradictory. And that's where you can read it and be like, <laughs> he seems to be contradictory. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, yeah, because he's working through these ideas. We don't necessarily think through these. We just act like this, right? Some days I act like a Christian. Some days I don't. You know, some days I go through an experience as though God exists. And some days I go through an experience as though God doesn't exist. And the outcomes look very different. And so you get this place where he comes to the end of chapter three here, and he says, well, there's going to be this time of judgment, but what does that judgment look like? So then he puts on his God doesn't exist hat. And he says, you know, because my life is just like that of an animal, he says. 
the animal just, it lives and then it dies and it just returns to the dust. And he writes this in verse 21, who knows if the uh, human spirit rises up and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. And really he begins to wrestle with what does happen after I die. And he goes on to say, for I saw that there is nothing better for a person than just to enjoy their work because that is their lot in life. And then he ends by saying, for who can bring them to see what will happen after them? How do I know, in other words, which worldview is correct? How, how do I know what the good place is like? How do I know if I get to go to the good place or if I'm going to go to the bad place? Or how do I know that there's even a good place or bad place at all and I'm not just going to turn, go back into the dust just like the animals and my life is, is all for nothing? And, he, and then, so then he kind of has that idea in the end. Well, I guess I'm just going <laughs> to try to enjoy my life, right? And, and hope for the best. And that's one thing that I really appreciate about the gospel, right? Christianity in general. Let's rephrase the question. There is this chasm called death. What do, uh, how can I find out what's on the other side? Uh, there are a couple of ways of doing this. Either I go there, I cross the chasm and go to the other side, or we need somebody on the other side to come back and tell us what it's like. Uh, and in Christianity, that's precisely what the whole religion kind of sits on, if you will, that Jesus himself had a death experience, not just near-death experience. He actually went to the other side and came back, and he can then authoritatively tell us what it's like to be on the other side. And he he's doing all of this in the context of affirming everything, like the whole worldview that is set up in the Old Testament. And really, it's, it's even more than that too, right, Steve? Because Jesus comes and he says, listen, I've come from the good place. Right. Right? I, I've come from my father's house. And, and I'm come and I'm telling you about these things, but you have this question, well, can I trust you? How do I know? Right? And you see this in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Many things are taking place there. I, I don't want to say that this is the only thing right. that's happening there. There are many important theological things that are taking place through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But one of them that references to what's happening with the writer of Ecclesiastes is, how do I know well, one of the ways that we know is because Jesus, first of all, said he's come from there, and then we saw, or they saw, that he died, and he came back. And again, what was the message that Jesus repeated over and over again of what the good place is? And, and the message, and we've talked a lot about this on the podcast, and I hope that those of you listeners can already begin to answer this. Jesus talks about relationship. That this is what heaven is, that heaven is being with your heavenly Father, not a God that's far removed. This is the message of Jesus that was transformational and was difficult for the Jews to even grasp, was that this is a God who is near, so near, that you can call him Father, that you can call him Dad, that you are a child of God. And so it's, it's a relationship of love, that you are loved, it's why you were created, but God's demonstrated that love in seeking to reconcile that relationship, not just so that we can be in right relationship with him, but that we can be in right relationship with one another. This is what the Bible gets at with regards to eternity. It highly contrasts what they're trying to depict on the show itself, that you can do it on your own, pull yourself 
what's the yep. term? Yeah, Buy your yeah. bootstraps That's or right. whatever. Be a good person. Be a good person. Do it all on your own. But as a Christian, we find out <laughs> it's by grace. But how do we live? We are saved by grace, but I think that grace propels us to live a good life and to love our neighbors in a certain way, right? So, yeah, let's, let's just talk about that for a moment. This gets into the heart of what the gospel is. The message of the Bible is not a, you know, it's the same message from the beginning. You start off with humanity, Adam and Eve, being created to be in relationship with God in this garden, paradise. The problem that we have is we will confuse the garden for the paradise. The, the garden isn't the paradise. It's the relationship that existed that's the paradise. And I mean, this is something that, that's quite intuitive to us. I think all three of us felt that really acutely over the last week. I mean, we were in San Diego, just gorgeous in November, right? Uh, the temperature is in the low 20s, just perfect, nice and warm, not too hot, not too cold, beautiful ocean before you and everything. But man, I was thinking to myself, you know what? As much as I love it here, I'd rather be with my family in Edmonton. And eventually I did come back to snow. And I was thinking to myself, my goodness, what is it about relationship? What is it about family and, and friends? What, what is it about these relationships that would propel me to leave behind such a paradise kind of a place in San Diego and come to live in the tundra with them, right? I'd rather be in the tundra with my family and friends than, as beautiful as it is, in San Diego without them. Absolutely. This becomes an important idea because we begin to understand that Christianity is a lot less about this intellectual understanding and a lot more about this heart relationship. And what I mean there is, is some people get this idea that Christianity is about having the right theological beliefs, and if you have the right theological beliefs, you get to go to heaven. And very much they have this kind of theological exam idea in their mind, and if you fail the exam, you're, you know, you're going to hell, and, and then often people, right, will shake their fist at God going, you know, you monster, and we'll have these ideas in our minds, well, what about that person on that remote island who just lived on an island and didn't get the right beliefs. They didn't hear say about Jesus or something like this, and then they die. Well, God, what are you going to do with that person? And we raise a lot of these different hypothetical questions. The problem is, though, is we're missing one of the key aspects, and that is that what we're dealing with is a heart problem. We're dealing with a sin-evil problem. We're dealing with a broken relationship problem. This becomes interesting then because it raises an important question that a lot of people don't think about, and that is, do you actually want to go to the good place? Do those around you actually want to go to the good place? Do they actually want to go to heaven if heaven is not about getting your mansion that you didn't get in this life, which is in the show, but what if instead heaven, the good place, is about right relationship with God, right relationship with one another. What if it's a relational idea? Because it's interesting that I know a lot of people that do not like God, and they don't want anything to do with God. And the idea of being in relationship with God for eternity is something that they do not want. And that's something that I really appreciated about C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. I mean, I don't agree on every fine point of theology uh, with C.S. Lewis, but I really appreciated his his use of imagination to tease out some of our ideas about heaven and hell. If you haven't read the book, 
the story is about a tour bus from hell to heaven. And the interesting thing is every person that came on this bus, and you see different types of people, people who always say, I need more evidence, I need more evidence, or somebody else who is so self-righteous, who's got an entitlement problem. There are different types of people that you see represented in the book. And what ends up happening is every single person that came on that bus ends up voluntarily getting back on that bus to go back to hell. And there's this idea that not everybody can handle heaven. We seem to think that heaven is the kind of place, of course, everybody wants to go there. Of course, everybody wants to be in the good place. But really, if the good place involves, for example, us dying to ourselves, right? Denying ourselves and following Jesus, would you really want to be in that kind of a place? In fact, there is that one particular story of a guy who gets off the bus, meets somebody that he knew in his earthly life, and they're catching up. And this person who is now living in heaven invites this guy into heaven. You should come in here, you know, like so-and-so is waiting for you. And this visitor from hell says, so-and-so is here. Why is he here? Don't you remember what he was like? He was a murderer. He was a thief. How is he here? And the person from heaven says, you know, I can't explain this to you all right now, but when you meet him, you'll see what's going on. And the guy says, no, if this is the kind of a place heaven is, I don't want to be there. And he gets back up on the bus and leaves. That, that was very helpful to me. It helped to sort of demolish some of these notions that everybody wants heaven. I don't think that's the case anymore. Now, let me be really clear on a couple things here. Does this mean that theology isn't important? Absolutely not. It is important. And it is important to understand who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is... God incarnate. This is important, important in many ways, important to understand that he's actually telling us the truth, that he sees reality correctly. This is one of the aspects of the good place that's just quickly brushed aside, and and that is, you know, only 5% of the world's religions get it right. Well, how do they know that, right? Well, they're taking this authoritative look on things, going, well, you're here, right? And And so this is the way that it actually is. And that's what truth ultimately is. Truth is talking about reality correctly understood, and you ask yourself, well, how do I get that? It goes back to Ecclesiastes. How do I get that perspective of what truth is? Well, you need to be able to see reality correctly, and this is what you find in Jesus, is that Jesus is telling you the way reality is, but he's doing so from a place of authority, that he is God in the flesh, that, that he sees reality correctly. He sees the truth, and he's telling you what that truth is. So again, is theology important? Yes. Is seeing Jesus correct? Is that important? Yes, it is. But does that mean that I have all of my theology correct? No, it doesn't. Like, I've got a lot of friends that we disagree on a variety of issues, whether that be Calvinist and Arminius, or a whole lot of other different beliefs where we disagree. And I know that one of us is right, one of us is wrong. They just don't know that they're wrong yet. Right, and, and even even between the three of us, we don't always see things eye to eye either. Right, we have disagreements. That, that's right. right. But then it brings up this question: But what about those people? Right, and then you bring up all your hypotheticals. My simple response to that is: Is listen, I don't know. There are a lot of different hypotheticals that you could raise where I I don't know the answer. Only God does. The important question here is: Is that God? And the Bible talks about this over and over again. The God judges the heart. We can't. God judges the heart. And then the other thing that the Bible makes mention of repeatedly is that God's good. 
So God, in his goodness, as a good and fair judge, will judge the hearts of everyone, including ourselves, fairly. And this is where I place my trust in God. And by that, I mean I trust that he is good and he will judge fairly, and that when I hear the judgments of God, that I will say, yes, he has done right. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to, you know, if I have these hypotheticals I'm not sure how to answer, that I'm just going to throw my faith away. Not a chance. So I'm, I'm going to follow him. But I, wanted to do, I do want to talk about one area that a lot of people throw their faith away because they don't know what to do with the fact that Jesus talks so much about the bad place. Jesus talks more about the bad place than he does about the good place. Jesus talks a lot about hell. I mean, he talked about hell more than anyone else in the Bible, right? And he uses all kinds of imageries. Now, sometimes people think, well, if these are just imageries, maybe it's not as bad as that. But actually, that's not the case. Every metaphor has a literal point of reference. And so if Jesus is saying, well, hell is the kind of place where the fire doesn't go out and the worm worms don't die, you know, and that sort of thing. Like he's saying it's as bad as that, at least. The truth is, and I'm glad you're highlighting this, Steve, is that metaphor is used as a word picture when there is a lack of ability to describe reality. And so what we'll do instead is is we'll use, you know, these word pictures to try to get at that. Uh, a lot of theology is done that way because language is so limited. It means then that, in fact, it's worse than. This is something that's probably disturbing for some people. It means that however badly Jesus has illustrated through words, hell, that he's doing so because he can't fully articulate to you just how bad it is, and it's worse. Or at least because we can't fully understand if he were to describe it to us precisely. Yeah. Now, this is an important thing to understand then. And this is where uh, I, I just wanted to camp for a moment as we, as we come to a close on this podcast. This is where so many people don't read their Bible correctly, and it leads to bad theology. And, and that is, I'll never forget at the Apologetics Canada Conference, one year we had Paul Copan here, and he said to the crowd, listen... Don't read your Bible literally, read it literarily. And I couldn't believe the amount of people that were angry with him for saying that. This is just hermeneutics 101 basic Bible study. And it was just a reminder to me how many people there are in the church who don't know how to read their Bible. We have this idea of, you know, if you're a committed Christian, you read the Bible literally. No, you don't. There are very few documents that you read literally. I was thinking about it in the shower today. You know, I think maybe you could say that we read mathematics literally, and maybe some science stuff, but even there, not really. Because even when I talk about things like the laws of nature and other things, nature doesn't have laws, right? I mean, again, that's a metaphor of sorts. Nature has constants. So what you're talking about is genres within the Bible. I am talking about genres, but, yeah. it's, but I would say that it's even more than that. What we want to do when we're reading the Bible is we want to take it as authoritative, right? And we want to take it seriously, and we want to apply it to our lives correctly. Now, to do that, though, it means you need to read it correctly, and you need to read it as literature is supposed to be read. And I want to give a couple examples of this, because metaphor is a big one that you brought up, Steve. For example, 
Uh, I was reading with my children the other day where Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman, and he tells her that he's living water. Now, she at first wants to take that literally and say, oh, perfect, tell me where that water is so I can drink that. And, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 I am the living water. Now, what am I supposed to do with that? Is Jesus actually water? Like, what does that mean to say Jesus is living water? Now, we take that metaphor even further in communion, where we say that Jesus' body is bread. Now, is his body actually bread? Well, well, no, it's a metaphor, right? And then the metaphor is communicating something you quite profound, that we break bread and Jesus' body was broken for you. And we begin to understand salvation in this. And now, isn't it interesting that he takes the wine, we often use juice or whatever, that's red in color, that represents his blood, and we drink that. Now, it comes back to this idea of him being living water. That Now, do I think that I need to drink that, you know, and I'm going to live forever or something like that? No. Do I think that I'm drinking Jesus' blood? No. What am I doing? I am participating in a meal with brothers and sisters in Christ, that is a symbolic meal reminding me of Jesus' life and death and his resurrection that allows me to be reconciled back to the family of God, to my heavenly Father and to my brothers and sisters in Christ, and reminds me of the relationship that, that I have been invited into. Again, my point there being, you see, if you were to take it literally, you would miss the significance of what it's pointing towards. And by that, I mean it has an intended meaning that is so much greater than the word picture can, can capture. This is where I think that we've just, we need to be careful when we, well, so many people will misunderstand Jesus then when he talks about hell. Is hell a place of literal fire and a place of literal gnashing of teeth and those sorts of things? The word picture is telling you that hell is a awful, terrible place that you don't want to go to. And it is a place of unrepentance. Uh, often I hear people misreading that part about the gnashing of the teeth, and they think it's this is a reaction to pain. Actually, in the biblical uh, literature, when you read about the gnashing of teeth, that's actually a sign of anger. In other words, these are people who are angry at God. There's no repentance there. It's a place that you don't want to go to, but it's a place that you choose to remain in. And this is something interesting, too, then. You'll see in these metaphors as well that hell can be talked of as a place of darkness, but then it can also be talked of as a place of lake of fire. And then people have these ideas then, and it goes back to what you're saying there with gnashing of teeth, because they'll, they'll misunderstand that and say, okay, God then is torturing people for eternity. That's what God's doing. But if you try to apply that idea that, you know, the bad place is God torturing people for all of eternity, doesn't make sense of what God's doing in the very beginning. God's desire is to bring people into a right relationship with himself and each other. Brokenness, evil, separates people relationally from God and each other. And what you begin to realize then, as you're starting to piece this all together, is that hell and heaven is something that you don't need to wait until you die to experience. And I think this is an important point. It means then, when you're living in broken relationship with God and broken relationship with people, you can already begin to get a taste 
of hell right here and now. On the flip side, when we come into relationship with God through Christ and are indwelled by His Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, and we live in right relationship with God and we're living in right relationship with one another as the church was meant to be, we can begin to experience a taste of heaven or the good place right here. And that ultimately what happens in death then is the fulfillment of what has already been chosen. And I think I think that uh, C.S. Lewis says this quite well when he says, at the end, it's either thy will or thy will. It's either somebody seeking to come to faith in God through Christ in submission, right, and having that relationship stored, thy will, right, you know, capital T, or it's, you know, thy will. It's little t, right? It's me. And it's about what, what I want. Uh, and it's that what C.S. Lewis often refers to in The Great Divorce is this turning inward on oneself, this, this narcissism that becomes completely self-consumed with oneself. And maybe it would be good to end on this note. Jesus talks about heaven as well, and the Bible talks about heaven, and uses, again, metaphor to talk about the good place. And again, the metaphor is used because this place where relationship is the way it was meant to be and that we live with God correctly and with one another is beyond description as well. And that this is where we place our hope, is that there is a day coming where what has already begun in your life now through Christ will be completely fulfilled when we come to his home face to face. Um, as we wrap up, can I just read this verse here? It's, it comes from Revelation 21, verse 3. And four, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's interesting that in the TV show, The Good Place, that's the one thing missing. Now, I haven't seen any of the other seasons, but, uh, but God is missing from The Good Place. And for that reason, in fact, it's not The Good Place. Right. Well, I mean, I appreciate the show already after one episode, because I think it is raising some interesting questions within our culture on a massive scale, right? With, with so many people watching this. And uh, just questions about life and questions about heaven and hell. So, so thank you for joining us, listeners. The AC Podcast and Ministry of Apologetics Canada. And we'll come back next week with more things to think about.